before we get started today, wanted to let you know about a new podcast. You already know about it because you listened to this one. Dominique Foxworth was on this show every Tuesday, has his own show. It is the Dominique Foxworth Show. You can check it out twice a week. He is bringing his unique perspectives on football, the personalities around it, anything else he finds interesting. Um, you know Dominique. You know how brilliant he is. Download, subscribe, make the right choice. Listen wherever you get your pods. Welcome back to the Minicom Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast. One of the hosts thinks the only thing better than Todd Bowles is two bowls. One for food, one for water. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Gimes. And the person laughing generously on the other end there is my friend, one of the hosts of the excellent fantasy-focused football podcast. You see him on NFL Live. You see him on Twitter. Now you're seeing him here. Or you're hearing him here. Feel the eights. Hello, Mina. That, I got to tell you, there's like a moment of suspense whenever I have the great opportunity to join your podcast where I figure out what sort of pun you're going to begin the show with. And I can't think of like a pun like once a month. You do so twice a week. It's really well done by you. It's one of the many reasons why you set the bar for intelligence here at ESPN. I don't know about that. They're pretty bad. But thank you so much for your kindness. And thank you for coming on this episode. I'm excited. It's been a while. Uh, we were talking yeah. about this. You haven't been on since I switched to a new format. Um, and, and one of the things with the format is I've been like really mixing it up a lot in terms of like, I've been trying to cover more games on Thursday. And then I hit you with a little bit of a curveball um, earlier this week, which is that, you know, we're going to talk about some of the bigger games this week, but I also asked you to do something a little bit different, which is, you know, sometimes with this, with the games, we end up not talking about the struggling teams that much, especially as the year goes on, because it's not really fun to talk about bad games. So I, but I, but I think it is also really worth considering, especially at a moment where it's still fairly early in the season, what's gone wrong. So the yeah. the exercise I came up with, and we're gonna do this before we get to the games, is I asked you to go through all the teams that have only won one game or less, in the case of <laughs> Houston, and just kind of figure out like what's the biggest thing that's gone wrong for them. And I, I, it was interesting because I think with some teams like Houston, it can be hard to kind of pick one thing. Some teams it's a little bit more yeah. obvious, but um, yeah, there's definitely. I mean, there's a lot of these teams right now, so are you ready to do it? I am. I want to throw one caveat, though, before we got going into diagnosing what's going wrong with these teams, is there is a common thread amongst basically all of them. It's turnover differential, yeah. which as we mm-hmm. look at stats that I think are predictive and indicators of win-loss, uh, if you go to basically the teams that are in the bottom half uh, or even in the bottom 10 of tur- turnover di- differential, there's uh, one of those classic, like, one of these things is not like the other. It's, believe it or not, the Green Bay Packers, who do have a negative turnover differential, but are wow. still three in one right now. They obviously have not dominated in their wins, at least in two of the three wins, most recently against the Bucks and then the very shorthanded Patriots, winning those games by two and three points, respectively. But otherwise, a lot of the teams that we're going to talk about are either just above or even below Green Bay in that turnover differential category. So I don't want to belabor the turnover point too much because it kind of applies applies to all of them. Well, there's one team where I feel like it applies to more than the others um, on this list, and maybe we should start there then because that's the New Orleans Saints. And the thing about turnovers, you're right, like turnovers, turnover luck tends to turn over, but the Saints uh, do have a quarterback in Jameis Winston who's not playing right now, but who, of course, is notoriously prone to turnovers. Um, and then they've also had, like, a bunch of fumbles. And that, that I think, was probably not going to continue, right? Because it's not just been Winston. It's been the running backs. Heck, in, in the Minnesota game, uh, Andy Dalton fumbled. Uh, Deontay Hardy fumbled on a kick return. 
So, you know, that's definitely been the biggest issue for this team. I mean, is there anything else do you think, though, that comes to mind as being something that's been underwhelming or maybe a big reason why they haven't been playing well? Again, this may apply to all of the teams here, Mina, or at least many of them, but slow starts. If you go go look at the Saints and their scoring, just, just points, raw points. The first three quarters, do you know how many points they've scored? Probably not because you haven't bothered looking up a very obscure stat like this. The answer is 27. They have 49 points scored in the fourth quarter. They have 27 points scored in quarters one through three combined this season. There are slow starts. There are extremely slow starts. And then there are what the Saints are currently riding with right now. And uh, playing behind the eight ball so consistently, it catches up to the defense, which we both, I think we both still believe is very, very good. But there's only so much you can do if your margin for error through at least three quarters is virtually neutralized. So the fact that the Saints offense can't get out of its own way in those first three quarters has put them in a very unfavorable spot. They've been competitive in a few of these games and they have found a way to win one game so far, but they better get going in a hurry. And maybe this is a good Sunday to do so because of Seattle's defensive struggles, but the clock is ticking because I know that division hasn't been, you know, the Bucks have not been as dominant as perhaps some forecasted, but the NFC, I think, is going to get away from them. They were a pick for a potential NFC powerhouse this year, yeah. and their one and three was some unmistakable issues through the first four four games of the season. Yeah, I think the defense has largely been fine. Maybe not as excellent as they've been in recent years, but fine. Uh, it's certainly not the problem with this team. You're right, the problem has been the offense, and these slow starts have been killers. Um, I think with this weekend, it, so it's Wednesday, we're t- recording yep. this Wednesday. James Winston's not practicing. I kind of think it's probably going to be Andy Dalton. And honestly, I kind of think that's fine for this team. Like the yeah. offense looked as efficient with him as it has with Jameis. So you're right. It's a definitely a get right situation playing the Seattle defense. So we'll see if that they can turn things around. Um, all right. So moving on from the Saints, um, another team that I think is, you know, a team that I don't think people are counting out necessarily, especially after a close loss to the Green Bay Packers, that is the New England Patriots, who, you know, will not, probably not have their quarterback, Mac Jones, I'm guessing, this weekend. You can tell me if that's not true. But um, I'll start there, actually. To me, the biggest issue with this team has been the pass offense. Um, It's just been inconsistent this year. I actually think the defense has been better than, frankly, I expected. That's something that really jumped out to me this week. I thought the run game looked like it finally got back on track. But, um, you know, even when Mac Jones was healthy, it was, he was airing it out more, which is in some ways good, but then turning the ball over more. But the thing that really jumped out to me, Field, is just kind of the decision-making seemed to regress a little bit. And 100%. Yeah. That, that was a major issue when he was playing. Yeah, so uh, I would expect, as of right now, it's Wednesday when we're having this conversation for a Thursday podcast. I don't think Mac Jones will play on Sunday, but things could change. He obviously uh, really wants to play. I do think he's a very physically and mentally tough individual, so there's a chance he plays on Sunday. But let's assume it's Bailey Zappi uh, as the starting quarterback with Brian Hoyer also not at practice on Wednesday. Uh, there are a couple things here. Is You're right, and again, like turnovers, I said I'm not going to belabor, but you go look at some of the critical turnovers that Mac Jones himself was responsible for. Week one, interception in the end zone. Week three, interception in the end zone. I mean, those are points that are taken off the board. That doesn't include last week when Bailey Zappi got walloped by Rashawn Gary and fumbled on a strip sack. And I think the ball's at the 25-ish yard line, which in a game that was low scoring, 
At the time, I didn't know if the Patriots would score again. They proved me wrong uh, throughout the rest of that game. But timely turnovers are a big thing, Mina. And I would say, frankly, and this was one of the biggest surprises for me prior to his injury, was just decision-making overall from Mac Jones, which felt so good for so much of last year. We had a podcast this offseason where you and I did the quarterback draft, and I thought that Mac Jones profiled as a guy to take a big leap forward. That was a problem uh, for the first three games was just these unforced errors that you're almost like, I would never expect that from him of all quarterbacks. Now, maybe it's adjusting to a new system. Maybe it's jitters. Maybe it's just moments that he wishes he could have back. But those are the kind of things that whenever he's back on the field, I suspect will be better, Mm -hmm. but they must be better because at one and three, again, their margin for error has already dramatically reduced. And like the turnovers are naturally going to be higher when he's pushing the ball downfield more as he has this season. You know, it seemed like, again, when he was healthy, he was really like, throwing more 50-50 balls, trusting his receivers a bit more, especially on the outside, which is fine. But like you said, it's been some high leverage moments. It is why they've lost football games. Um, and yeah, I guess other, I mean, they're, they're playing, we're not talking about the Lions game this weekend, but like the run game looking good is pretty, well, let's transition to the Lions. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, so I went with run defense. I mean, I think we both agree it's defense, obviously, given how well this Lions team has played on offense. Their run defense is 32nd in DVOA. A little bit of recency bias for me, having just watched the Seattle rushing attack just bulldoze them. But what really struck me about that field is like, I don't know, some of it I think is talent, but a lot of it looked like execution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the Lions defense looked overly aggressive against Seattle, and Seattle yeah. really took advantage of that, and that could be a huge problem if it happens again against New England. I don't proclaim to watch every head coach press conference on Mondays. There's not enough hours in the days, and many of those coaches are not exactly like illuminating. But Dan Campbell is usually one that's pretty transparent about some stuff, and we know the emotional side of Dan Campbell. He was like despondent on Monday, Mina in a way that I thought was reflective of some of the stuff that you just mentioned. And he was being pressed on some of the defensive issues, no surprise, when they're allowing 35.3 points per game. One of the things that he talked about was that it seemed like there are just guys who just aren't in lockstep with each other right now, right? I'm not saying that they're running two different defenses on two different positions, but it feels like there are plays where sort of the left half of the brain and the right half of the brain aren't fully connected. And that can make a massive difference down the field in coverage, but it can also make a big difference up front where they're getting gashed on the ground right now and uh, there are some pieces that we like defensively for this team like I think that it feels to me a little bit like the um like the whole is actually less than the sum of its parts at the moment at yeah. one and three uh but that defense needs to get things going I mean even without Amon Ross St. Brown and DeAndre Swift they put up 45 points the offense seems to be the least of their worries and Jared Goff has also played reasonable football right now. So we could just do an entire defensive segment on Detroit, but that run defense that you pointed out has been a major, major problem. I love the phrase reasonable football to describe Jared Goff. Well, I feel bad, you know. It's like with quarterbacks, you know, we put them in two buckets, right? They're either terrible, not good enough, or they're, you know, the the MVP of the league through three weeks, which is one of the more fruitless endeavors that I think of. It's like, yeah, let's crown a guy after four weeks on an award that, like, it'll change 19 times if that's possible between now and the end of the regular season. Yeah, I mean, he looks like he did in you know at times in Los Angeles. Looks very comfortable. It's a very quarterback friendly offense. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you for this. I think this is actually probably one of the harder ones. What would you pick for the Commanders? Well, I think I have to go back to the pass defense here. If you look at the run defense, especially Me recently, too. it's been stout. But okay. the pass defense, they yeah. can't cover anybody right now, right? I mean, they're <sighs> uh, I don't know who is performing yeah. at or above expectation on the defensive side of the ball at the moment. 
feels like basically nobody. Uh, in the secondary, I would say specifically that you could make the case is tied to the pass rush, which of course right now has no Chase Young and won't have him again this weekend as he continuing to rehab from that knee injury. But uh, having major coverage issues. They've played some good offenses, to be clear, but they're making other offenses look better than they actually are. And that might be the case again on Sunday when they play the Titans, who all of a sudden are playing some pretty inspired football. Agree. Yeah. So for me, it was kind of hard because I was choosing between the passing offense imploding at times. Um, but the passing offense at least has had some moments, you know, um, whereas... The past defense has just been a problem now for three years, really. Um, it was really, really bad last year, too. And you're right. Like, nobody in that secondary is playing good. I mean, they didn't have Cam Curl, their safety, for a couple weeks. But yeah. the cornerbacks, it, I don't know, man. Like, they're all players who, not all, but who were much better at other points in their career on other teams. Like, William Jackson III in Cincinnati, Kendall Fuller with Kansas City, and... They play a lot of man. They're really bad at it. They're allowing 12.83 yards per completion. That's mm, <laughs> so many yards. First down uh, every time they, they allow. Oh, completion. my God. Just, More, I mean, yeah, just jarring. So, you know, so like I said, you know, Wentz decision making at times has been really bad. He's doing kind of all the things that he's done at points in his career that can be frustrating. And I think the offensive line, you know, they've had injuries on the inside as well. But, yeah, I, I ended up going with the pass defense, too. Um, I suspect we'll have the same one for the Colts. Huh. Uh I mean, there's a lot that's gone wrong with the Colts, but for me, it's the offensive line. Yeah, which is thank crazy. you. Crazy, right? Like, what is happening? What? Like, I. It's always noticeable when a skill player depreciates in value quickly because we can see it, right? Like, a running back yeah. runs slower, a wide receiver runs slower, a quarterback's arm just doesn't have the same zip or strength that it had in previous years. Offensive line, it's like a much slower burn, right? But a group that we, for many years, had in the conversation for the very best in the NFL feels like it's being undone. And I think, could be wrong here, but I think we still feel pretty good about at least three-fifths of the offensive line in terms of individual ability, right? Quentin Nelson, regarded as the best guard in football. Center Ryan Kelly, a very solid player when available and on the field. Same thing goes for Braden Smith, a right tackle, right? Like the personnel is not so much a major issue at three important spots, but left tackle has been a turnstile for them so far this season. And it just feels like, you know, I always hear offensive linemen and certainly, you know, you and I don't know nearly as much about offensive line play as someone like Mike Golick Jr., who can speak to the importance of chemistry. But I do wonder if maybe it's just like one or one and a half week links is kind of undoing the the entirety yeah. of the offensive line. But it's a major problem right now. I mean, Jonathan Taylor in week uh, week four had 20 carries. He had 42 rushing yards, I mean. I know that some of that goes on the back as well. But if you told me Jonathan Taylor had 20 carries, I'd say the floor was like 75 yards. He got 42. Colts running backs are averaging 1.67 yards before contact, which mm. is 30th. Yeah. in the NFL. I'm not putting this on Jonathan Taylor. I'm with um, you. In the Titans game, too, like, even the good players looked bad. Like, Quentin Nelson was struggling. I, To your point, it might be, like, I don't know, the whole group suffering from the weak spots. I also just think it, it when you watch them, um, well, so there's the, the they also have been really struggling in pass protection. It's just been absolutely killing Matt Ryan, who's not yeah. been playing good football, let's be clear, but um, just he looks, like, just totally totally skittish in the pocket but the run stuff too it, it, it does look like defenses just seemingly have their number 
every time they run the football. It seems like, you know, it's the defenses are completely aware of what's coming, completely aware of where it's going, completely aware of the plan. There's not deception happening in this offense. And yeah, it's, and, and I would also add, like, I think that they've lost obviously some of their better blockers, like um, the skill players, right? Sure. But yeah. who block what, who blocked well, like Jack Doyle, but like, it's just crazy crazy that the Colts offensive line is a weak link of this team I mean, things you not expect that's for sure yeah okay Panthers non-functioning passing game yeah. uh, Baker Mayfield I know the completion percentage is a stat that can be misleading uh, oftentimes players who have like extremely high completion percentages might be in part a reflection of the fact that like a lot of their throws are at or near the line of scrimmage Sam Bradford award yeah yeah exactly the Sam Bradford award no doubt about it um but I think when it's extremely low, Mina, that to me is a bit more of an indicator. And Baker Mayfield's completing 54.7% of his passes right now. Mm. And it's not simply a Baker issue. There are all kinds of concerns right now for this entire offense. But they're just not good enough. Even though they have a good, stout defense, they're not nearly good enough to grind things out. And they're playing offense like we thought the Colts would play offense, right? Like just ground and pound Christian McCaffrey and... Uh, McCaffrey's incredible, and he's held up his end of the bargain in terms of a rusher. But uh, it strikes me as like an identity crisis right now on offense, and uh, certainly the quarterback seems like he is anywhere but comfortable right now through the first four games of the season. So to your point about completion percentage, you know, it's a useful stat when you look at it in conjunction with average depth of target, right? And Baker's average depth of target is under seven yards. It's 28th yeah. in air yards per attempt. So when you have that and you have a bad completion percentage, you're not playing good football. Um, And it's just, I mean, the the huge thing has been the batted passes this year, which people are saying, well, he's short. But yeah, it wasn't that bad in previous years. And you can see it affecting him too. Like he's clearly like trying to not (laughs) get them batted now. So it leads to inaccuracy. I don't know what it's going to take to fix. Um, I've got some thoughts. This is like almost psychological and maybe this is a little bit too deep and maybe I am 100%. Uh, speaking at a turn here, so I'm not trying to say that I have like you know deeply sourced information on this. I just think that when you've got a coach and a quarterback who are both essentially in make or break years, when the times get tough early, that's a difficult hole to dig yourself out of. And mm. my hope is that they they get things going. Uh, we don't like to see people lose their jobs. We don't like to see players fall from grace uh, in the way that I think Baker's career might be falling from grace right now. Um, mm. But it, it just feels like. Um, you know, they're almost like playing with like a 10-point deficit when they walk on the field for the first quarter, even though that defense continues to, for the most part, yeah. ball out. Like they are, they've got legit personnel in the secondary. They've got good pass rushers. Like Brian Burns is one of the more enjoyable players to watch. They've got good linebackers this year. Um, you know, it's 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 not quite Luke Keekley, but it's nice to see some guys who are flying around. Like I, the defense is a joy to watch. The offense is sort of the opposite of that prayers up because they got the Niners this week I know good luck <laughs> oh, the god. Niners who are allowing like 3.8 yards the defense. per play it's oh absurd. my yeah. god it's gonna be ugly all right um I've got a I've got a hopeful one for the Raiders okay, okay. red zone yeah um this is a team that ranks 28th in red zone efficiency uh, and EPA per play in the red zone outside the red zone they're eighth in EPA per play so that's good news because that's you talked about fumbles it's like another thing that tends not to hold um, and you know, like sometimes there, there, there are certain things I think that can cause problems with red zone in terms of your skill players and protection and coaching and all that. But I think that the Raiders are going to be better than they've been. 
Yeah, I was just going to say finishing, which is like a little bit of a subjective description, I suppose. But uh, last week we saw them actually do this, right? They have a big lead or they have a they have a competitive game against the Broncos and they finish the job, right? They actually get their first win of the season. Uh, was it three weeks ago now? They played Arizona. They had this massive lead and didn't finish. And that was yeah. a game that was being played at home. Like there was some momentum there. Um, you know, the tough part for the, for the, for the Raiders is that like – all the good things that I saw this past week could look a little less good against the Chiefs because the Chiefs okay. are very, very good on Monday Night Football. Um, but they just got to finish, whether that's drives, whether that's games. Uh, all those things, I think, apply to the Raiders right now because I still look at that roster and think, other than like, the offensive line still a concern and there are a couple of spots on defense, but not a ton, that I think to myself, like, they should be really good. Like, they have really good personnel and like 40 of their 53 spots or 42 of their 53 spots. That roster feels much better than a one-in-three squad. I think it, it's got to be encouraging how good Josh Jacobs and, by the way, Derek Carr on his feet looked in that game against Denver. Um, just so, showing that they have that change-up against Vic Fangio style defenses is going to be really important in the, you know, just across the NFL, but in their own division for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, and by the way, Max Crosby, whoo, buddy. He's so good. Huh? Yeah, he's, he's amazing. Unreal. Um, okay, what do you have for Pittsburgh? Explosive place. And Me too. God, yeah. there's so many the same one. <laughs> Literally what I wrote down is explosive. How about this? Right. And I'm sure you probably know this already, but the Steelers' longest run this season is 18 yards. Their longest pass this season is 36 yards. They just aren't good enough to grind out offensive drives, and they're being forced to right now because there's no – field flipping opportunities for them, right? I wish I could import Deshaun Jackson to Pittsburgh and just tell him to run far and fast on every single play and just have Kenny Pickett throw it as far as he can on like every opening play of a series because right now they're trying to grind things out. They're not good enough to do that on the ground because the offensive line, even even if it's supposed to be fixed or at least slightly fixed, it's just not good enough in the running game to generate the push it needs to grind out yards for Najee Harris, and in the passing game, whether it's lack of creativity, whether it's the fact that, you know, candidly, Mitch Trubisky was benched for a reason, or what it is, the offense has zero explosive plays right now. And that's a problem when the defense is good, but not dominant without T.J. Watt. Yeah. Um, you know, when Trubisky was playing, there were, I, I saw... I don't want to like straw man it, but there were, you know, fans saying, well, you know, why won't Matt Canada let him push the ball down the field? Well, actually he was, he yeah. was just bad at it. Yeah. Like the, you know, I mean, the Steelers at this point ranked 29th QBR and passes of over 15 yards. Um, and with Pickett, there was the turnovers bringing that down, but you got to think, you know, hopefully there'll be an improvement over what they got out of Trubisky. But yeah, it's just, it was like the end result was the Ben Roethlisberger offense from a production standpoint, which right. of course was very hard to watch. Um, and it really, it should be better. Honestly, it really should be better than it's been uh, with the players that they do have. So hopefully that they can turn that around. Because as you said, without TJ Watt, the defense is not consistent enough to win games. Their five top skill players, just list them, right? Deontay oh Johnson, George Pickens, Chase Claypool, Pat Fryermuth, and Najee Harris. That sounds like an enviable place to start, right? Shouldn't yeah. you be good on offense with those five guys as your nominal starters? And the answer is the Pittsburgh Steelers have found a way for that to not be the case. So um, last one is the Houston Texans. You could obviously yeah. go in a few directions here. Huh. I made um, mine very general. Okay. <laughs> well, you go first then. What do you have? It's just personnel. 
right? And yeah, just um, not enough dudes. Yeah, not enough dudes yet. And you and I um, earned some coverage in Houston newspapers for talking about like the process that uh, the Texans have currently uh, been following. Um, but part of that was a realization that they're still a couple of years away, right? And yeah. what you take promise in, or what you take, uh, what you, you get excited about is that the young guys that they've added look like dudes. Kenyon Green, mm. left guard, who's been playing more recently, is knocking the snot out of some dudes. We've got, I mean, Jalen Petre and Derek Stingley oh. Jr. are going to be longtime starters in the secondary. I love Jalen Petre. Yeah, he's so been great. Good. And to see that is, to me, and I know that Texans fans probably don't want to hear this, perhaps more important than whether or not they're winning these close games because I don't know that this year is about trying to win the division or make the playoffs or whatever it is, right? Like, I think it really is about um, can we develop some players and what's the evaluation that we're getting on the quarterback because so I know it's early. Come in here. Yeah. Is he, which, <laughs> so, yeah. You tell me what you think. Yeah, I don't think he's been playing good football, man. Yeah, I, you. you know, I thought he was better last year. Um, but my spin zone for Texans fans is I actually think this is good because the, the worst thing you can come out of this year with is ambiguity at the quarterback position, right? Like, the, the Houston Texans are going to be in position to get one of the best quarterbacks in the draft, whether yep. it's a CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. I actually think it would have been worse for them to have a false belief in what they've got. And my feeling is, I, I'm guessing, I'm sure in the building that they're positive and they yeah. believe in Davis and he's going to be the quarterback. But if he continues playing the way he has through the end of the season, they'll pretty clearly have their answer. And in some ways, that's good. Yeah. Clarity is good. I'm it's with good you, to Nina. know. Yes, so. I'm 100% with you. And we'll, there are a few other teams that have maybe more significant investments in their quarterback that I think are definitely worth watching for the rest of this season as well. We can dive into that maybe yeah. on a future appearance on the pod. Dude, um, I went on my friend Jackson Bevins has a uh, Seahawks pod called yeah. Cigar Thoughts, and we actually had the exact opposite take, which I was like, listen, Geno Smith has played bad teams. So like, I'm not making any definitive statements. However, if we were to end the season hour, you were to take his performance and extrapolate to the end of the season. I don't know if I would have Seattle draft a quarterback because that's a team with many holes on defense that they could fill in the draft instead. Um, so it's a, it's like the opposite situation, right? Yeah, I'll buy you Will Anderson jersey right now if you'd like it. Oh my God, no, please. So From your lips to God's he's ears. He's so good. He's oh. so good. Um, trade, yeah. yeah uh, but yeah, it's, a, it's a fascinating it one going forward. It'll be, uh, this would be a good test. This would be a good, yeah. I don't know if it's a Rorschach test for Gino on Sunday, but the Saints defense, I know you, you, we talked a little, talked about it a little yeah. bit earlier, but they are better than they are. frankly what we've seen over recent weeks, which is the Lions and who was it two weeks ago that they played? Now I'm drawing a blank, but they played the, the Falcons. Falcons and Lions. Yes, this will be a stiffer yeah. test on Sunday. Yeah, a hundred percent. So um, that's not that was not my Geno take, guys. That was just a tentative, like what the, where things would go. Yep. It's week five, um, and speaking of week five, let's actually talk about some football games. Um, well, you mentioned I just mentioned them, and I, I I'm kind of obsessed with the Atlanta Falcons, and I haven't really talked about mm. them, and they're playing the Bucks, yeah. and. The Bucks are obviously favored, and the Bucks should win this game. However, does the Bucks defense match up well with the Falcons' offense? Like, might they give them some problems? Uh, that's a good question. What is the? Is there? Uh, you probably know some of these advanced metrics better than I do. Actually, I know for a fact you know some of these better than I do. Is there a wins above expectation? Not for players, but for teams. 
because doesn't that feel like doesn't it feel like the Falcons are the wins above expectation roster? Like, I don't know that I... Well, they were last year, yeah, right? they certainly were. And here we go, yeah. four games into the season, they're 2-2, two and two, and they actually almost had a chance against the Rams in Week 2 when they overcame, briefly, a 25-point deficit. So I thought that the way that they controlled the line of scrimmage this past week against the Browns was extremely impressive. Now, worth noting, no Jadavian Clowney, no Miles Garrett. Perhaps yeah. the Achilles heel of the Browns' defense right now is their defensive tackle depth. So it didn't necessarily totally stun me. But if they can try to replicate what the Chiefs did last week, which was generate 117 yards before contact in the running game against that Bucks defense, then this game might be might be closer. And maybe things will change. We saw them change a bit last week. But in previous years with Tom Brady and Bruce Arians as the coach, it felt like they were so happy to be aggressive and put their foot on opponent's throat. And the Bucks have slowed things down a bit this year, which I think is going to lead to fewer blowout games, even when they, on personnel, would appear to be the superior roster. The Falcons are just so unique offensively. Um, I, I guess there's a few teams around the league now, and we've talked about this a little bit. We talked about on NFL Live this week, like, Teams who are kind of built differently, built to run the football, built to run the option, built for deception. Um, and I think Atlanta's such an interesting case study. And actually, you know, it's, it's funny. I was talking to Jeff Saturday about this. So Matt Ryan goes to the Colts and their offensive line looks worse. Atlanta, pretty much the same offensive line field. A couple changes. Yeah. You got Drew Dahlman at center, Elijah Wilkinson. But it's a really good case study in how scheme can help an offensive line and um, also skill players and how you use them, you know, because they look really good run blocking because of what they're being asked to do and, and the hesitation that it creates in the minds of defenders. Um, and, you know, we are coming out. You, you talked about the Bucks and Chiefs run on them. The Bucks run defense doesn't really look like what it's been in recent years and i don't know like you know akeem hicks is hurt obviously sue's gone some of the players but it's pretty surprising to me i mean watching the chiefs bully them around was like god like what am i watching yeah. now now I, I will say before we get to just um you know the the falcons are not gonna have cordell or patterson in this yep. game and i think that's big as much as i love the young running backs but um yeah i guess it's just I don't know. This would have been a foregone, like, oh, they're going to destroy them. And if it gets to third down, they probably will. But if it doesn't... <laughs> Beyond that, so worth noting that Kyle Pitts, also his status uncertain for this weekend. He has a hamstring injury. So Everybody. even though he has been, as we know, not particularly productive for the first four games of the season, much of the chagrin of everybody who plays fantasy football, yeah, um, he's, on my he's, still, he's a unicorn, right? I mean, he, at least athletically, could be one of the most... Uh, gifted players who've ever seen play tight end in the NFL, so they could be they could potentially be down both he and uh, Patterson, who's definitely out for the next four games at minimum because of being placed on IR. One thing I'll have my eyes on in this game as well is the strength of the Falcons' defense. I thought on paper coming into the season would be their perimeter cornerback play, AJ Terrell, an All Pro level player, yeah, uh, and also Casey Hayward who. Like continues to bounce around and seems really solid everywhere he goes, yet can't quite stick around forever, which I'm not exactly sure what the roots of that are, but a good football player. They haven't been quite as dominant this year as I expected them to be, and the Bucks are turning in the right direction health-wise with their wide receivers. Yeah. Mike Evans is just Mike Evans. You can kind of expect 
basically really good play from him every single week. Awesome in the red zone, maybe the best going in that department. And I thought Chris Godwin, there was a really important thing that happened in week four, which was that Godwin played, he finished the game, he actually ran the second most routes of any player in the NFL hmm. in week four, which is notable because in week one, he probably you know, he immediately injured his hamstring coming back from that ACL tear, which might suggest that perhaps he wasn't physically 100% ready to go. Well, in week four, he showed that not only was he ready to be back on the field, but he was ready to play a ton. And I think that bodes very well going forward. Uh, a player that is so, 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 so good. And if you have those two guys, even if the offense by design is a bit more conservative, they should be able to have some big days that look more like the second half of what we saw on Sunday night, even though they were down big against the Chiefs. Yeah, and that, you know that's why I feel like the Bucks will have a one in hand, just because they're, I, I, I kind of like what the Falcons like. That it feels like they're finally starting to put together the pieces of their future defense, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, like with Evacati. Um, Richie Grant, who barely played the year before, but, you know, you're seeing a lot more this year. Um, and then, you know, you talked about the cornerbacks. Um, I will say, by the way, Grady Jarrett looks so much better this year than he did last year. Forever um, awesome. Forever awesome. I love that Can guy. I ask one quick question? So, but anyways, yeah. The Bucks for the past couple of years just felt inevitable to me. Do they feel as inevitable to you this year? I know they lost, so it's yeah. like I'm not trying to just – I'm not trying to react yeah. to just week four. But even right. watching them in prior weeks, I kind of felt like there's like the the offense. I'm sure will be better than what it was against New Orleans and Green Bay, for example. But that there were games in previous years where like they barely broke a sweat and scored back to back to back touchdowns or whatever, put up 35 points in a game, and you were like, ho hum, another day at the office. It feels whether it's because of the offensive line changes, whether it's because of all the injuries whether it's because Brady himself has been dealing with a little bit of a finger and shoulder issue of late, whatever it is, it just feels a little bit less inevitable this year to me than it did in prior years. The offensive line is going to always give me a little bit of hesitation this year, even as they look more fully operational and the wide receivers come back. And no running game. They've had six rushing yards on Sunday night. Zero running game. to me. Six. Maybe they they try to incorporate Rashad White a bit more, even though he fumbled. You know, they kept him in. He was catching passes or something. I I wouldn't even put it on Fournette, honestly. Like, they, I I think the blocking, they're still figuring it out up front. And I don't know. Maybe... um, they consider uh, Luke Gedecky, yeah, yeah. right? Second the guard, Gedecky, yeah. yeah. So maybe they consider moving Walton, who's who's playing left yeah. tackle in place of Donovan. But maybe he plays left. I don't know. Yeah. So, but there's something. It's not, and you know, the lack of good blocking from the tight ends as well. I think is something that's causing problems for them sure. up front. But yeah, I mean, like this is. I, it's the same with Rodgers, man. Like at this point <laughs> in Brady's career, he needs good blocking, yes. you know, and it's like. If they don't have it, I'm always even. I, I'm still going to pick this team to win the division. I think the defense, even despite what happened on Sunday, is amazing. But the blocking is always going to give me a little bit of pause, a little bit of pause as I compare them to like the Bills yep. and the Chiefs. Hundred percent agree. All right, let's take a quick break and then talk about a, a bunch more games. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. 
And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, field Eagles Cardinals, a couple birds going at it. Um, let's just start with the Eagles. Best team in the NFL? <sighs> balanced, yes. Most balanced, yes. I think potentially the best, yes. Um, I would say they're right up there for the most enjoyable to watch stylistically. Um, the aggression that they show, and I mean that in a lot of different ways, not just like the way they move bodies on both sides of the line of scrimmage, the way that Nick Sirianni is coaching right now, I think deserves a ton of praise. The decision-making that he is following week in, week out, seems to suggest that this team um, believes it's good enough to take whatever you want, whether you want to call them calculated or measured risks, sometimes play the analytical game, right? Like, Go for mm-hmm. it on fourth and goal from the three-yard line, and you feel good about either A, scoring a touchdown, or B, that, sure, if that if, if the Jaguars have to go 97 yards to score a touchdown on your defense, that's unlikely to happen. Um, they have an identity, that's for sure. They've got, I mean, blue-chip players in every single spot. What's the vulnerability right now for them? I don't know that I can see a clear weakness on this roster. I don't either. Um yeah, they're, they're a wagon. Like a, they're a wagon, and with the way so the Jalen coming Hurts off a game where like, what I was gonna say, even when he doesn't yeah, play well, yeah. right? Like coming at the last game, he wasn't yeah. great. It doesn't matter. It does not seem to matter. It was so terrifying to watch them come from behind and continue to run the ball in such a dominant fashion. Um, and the defense is just outstanding. I guess maybe you, you might be able to run on them, um, like a really really good running team. But the Cardinals, well, they're an okay running team. Um, let's start, let's, let's talk about this side of the ball. Cause the Cardinals offense has been fairly underwhelming the first four weeks of the season. I don't think anyone's terribly surprised by that without DeAndre Hopkins. It, it's interesting. Like, um, Kyler clearly has a really good connection with Hollywood yeah. Brown. Right. And like, they'd have these explosive plays, <laughs> but he's not that move the chains guy that Hopkins was. And that is sorely missing in this offense. Yeah, two weeks ago, it felt like he was very DeAndre Hopkins-like. If you go back and look at, like, the next-gen stats, uh, they show, like, they track, like, basically every route he ran, and a lot of it was what DeAndre ran, which was often from far left side of the formation, and a lot of it was, like, variations of, like, hook, curl, hitch, you know, in, dig, very little. Like, it was a very limited route tree, right? But the success was 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 hard to argue um, they're just a weird team, man. Hard to get a full grip on where they are. They're two and two, and they've you know they they got a very impressive win over the Raiders when they were down big, and then they went to Carolina and overwhelmed a team that, as we discussed earlier, is a little bit of a mess right now. But then they were just like, like brutally overmatched by the Chiefs. And other games are like 
this team may be destined for like who knows what, right? They may, they, they make they maybe the worst team in their own division. I don't have a good grip on them. I was starting to think of a team that I have less of a grip on right now in the NFL, and I think the Cardinals might be the top contender right now. I just hate watching this offense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is it's crazy. Tough. So I can't remember who tweeted this. It was a friend of mine. Maybe it was Nikki. It was a friend of mine who covers basketball. It was like I don't understand how the Cardinals have like the most electric player in the quarterback position, yeah. but are so unpleasant to watch. And it's just. First of all, Kyler Murray is uh, 31st in air yards per attempt, yeah. which is just yeah. so crappy. It just It's just the same old thing. It's just the fruitless screens, the it's iso ball <laughs> to the receivers. Um, and then it, every now and then Kyler does something spectacular. There's no like... I don't like when he runs too. It just feels like he'll have has some cool scrambles, but there's no like plan with it, you know, which is crazy because he's so talented at it. I just he's not, you know, he doesn't throw on the move. Like I, I just do not enjoy watching them, and I think they're gonna have a as although the offensive line has not been terrible, I think they're gonna struggle against this Eagles defense. Yeah, I'm with you, and so like obviously every team could use one of these, but like it feels like more so than other teams they need. Or they could use like an AJ Brown type player, just an alpha, right? Yeah. It feels like they've got a lot of guys who are playing play like one rung up, right? Like their bell cow back is James Conner, who's fine. He's had, he's an amazing story, but he's like three and a half yards and a cloud of dust, right? Mm. Um, in the passing game, like Hollywood Brown, really really good player. I don't think he's quite on that level of some of the guys that have recently been paid, a DK and AJ Brown, et cetera, et cetera. Then you have guys who are doing great work for what they are asked to do. But like Greg Dortch was like the most productive player not named Hollywood Brown in this yeah. offense for the first weeks of the season. It just feels like they're, um, there is a collection of players that I think are punching a bit above their weight right now. And maybe that changes a little bit once DeAndre Hopkins is back. But up to this point, it has not exactly been an offense that's breathing a bunch of fear into opponents. Mm. I just wish Rondell Moore could get one target that's not a screen. Just one. I know, I, I know right? <laughs> it's so cool in college. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, when, when I've talked about this before, when Hopkins comes back, it's actually a really good group of skill players. So, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, when everyone else slides down a watch, you're like, oh, my God, like, you could do something really cool with this. It's Yeah, the pieces fit a lot better once he's back on the field. And Kyler hasn't been perfect, but I want to mention that as well. There's been some bad decisions, occasional inaccuracies, but... Yeah, it just feels like there's there's got to be like a whole scale philosophical change there. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've, it, like again, you'd ask, well, what's the weakness in the def- the Eagles? I mean, for me, it would, like I'd want to see him really like you get on his feet a lot. But I understand you don't want him taking a ton of hits. He is very small, so I'm sure that yeah. factors into it as well. You know, when the this is a like a default line that I sometimes use when a team uh, either hasn't uh, endured much. Uh, adversity or is the last undefeated team in the NFL, which I guess probably both of those apply to the Eagles. But I suppose, and this is probably just a crutch argument, like the one thing you want to see is what happens when things don't go well? How do they respond to if there is a game where they get dragged or if there is a game in which they let leave, uh, they take their foot off the gas pedal and they squander a big lead? All those things, I don't know. Um, But I mean, you know, like um, Howie Roseman, they're head of football ops and GM has certainly been subject to plenty of criticism. But I was looking at it this morning, like if you go through their major 
offseason acquisitions amongst veterans. Oh, my because God. Because, you know, rookies are still a little bit of a work in progress. Uh, and Jordan Davis is going to be a guy that you got to figure out what kind of role you want to play him on. Is, it, is he is a 50% of the snap guy, or can he ever become a 70% of the snap kind of guy? But just look at the guys they added as veterans, and they've been all big hits so far. A.J. Brown's third in the NFL in, wide, in receiving yards. Son Reddick has three and a half sacks. He's already forced three fumbles. That's the most in the NFL. James Bradbury has a pick six. He's playing 99% of the snaps. Same with C.J. Carter-Johnson, 99% of the snaps. They've missed just two snaps each this year. Like These are plug-and-play starters for them. Kaiser White's got 23 tackles, playing like 80% of the snaps too. I mean, all of those guys have been worth every penny to date. That's a hard thing to do no matter how many or how few investments you make. And the depth, dude. Like in this in oh, this last crazy. game, I mean, they lost like half their secondary. And while yeah, I was, no Vontae Maddox. It's like, come yeah, on Yeah, and they were, you know, I was, right, right. I was like, who the heck is Zach Zach McPherson, McPherson right? Yeah. <laughs> like Marcus Epps is playing above his head right now. Oh my like God. all these guys that you're just like, wow, offensive Scott. line's got good oh, depth Yeah, too. well, so that's the other thing, right? You lose my lot. I'm like, ooh, all of a sudden, like this, you know, it could be an issue. Nope. Yeah. Freaking nope. Yeah. Every, this often, they are an OL fat. I mean, I think that's, also, just like offensively, um, to kind of wrap on that side of the ball, this I think the Eagles' offensive line is probably the best unit in the NFL. Not best offensive line, just the best unit, yeah. uh, the best positional group, rather. So I, I just, it's such a lesson in team building, I guess. And also, like you know, obviously they have Jeff Stoutland who's very, very good at developing their offensive linemen, coaching them. But like, they just have such an ability to take over football games and. You know, I think the Cardinals' defense is—they actually—I actually think they're kind of trending in the right direction. They're getting mm-hmm. decent play out of guys like Zach Allen's been really, really good for them up front. JJ yep. healthy JJ Watt um, is huge, um, and then you know, like finally Zayn Collins is contributing a little bit. But I just don't think—I think that this Eagles unit is just offense is just too dominant. This would be a really good test for the Cardinals. I mean, stating the obvious and saying that, but uh, you're right. They have held up in recent weeks, I think in lesser matchups. Yeah. Uh, but they've also played well in big, like, you know, Byron Murphy's done a good job of helping to, like, neutralize as much as you can neutralize Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup, like, back-to-back weeks where I think the number of total receiving yards between those two players was 80. Mm. Like, you'd sign up for that every day of the week, right? Yeah. Like, that's impressive. Uh, you know, I take that back. It was less than that uh, because Devontae Adams had two catches for 12 yards and a touchdown against them. I think Cup was four for 44, like 56 yards for those two. You think to yourself, I'll take that. We're probably going 2-0 and in those games as well. And they went 1-1, and uh, but that secondary deserves some kudos as well. So I, I'm curious to see how the Eagles look against the Blitz. We know that the Cardinals are the blitzingest team in the NFL. When they do Blitz, they're 10th in pressure rate. When they don't Blitz... They are 20th, and yeah. they allow major yards after the catch. So there's an opportunity there. But, um, yeah, you know, it's going to be on Jalen Hurts' shoulders. So we'll see. I think – I'm sure that the Eagles are favored by quite a bit in this one. Let's see. It's in – The game is in Arizona. Arizona. So that may influence line a tiny bit, but uh, the line is five, five. for Philly. They're a five-point favorite. But, incidentally, the Cardinals are 0-2 at home this year and 2-0 and on the road. Wasn't that the case last year, too? Weren't they, like, yeah, they, really bad? There are a lot of yeah. – <laughs> uh, NFL home field advantage over recent years has been dramatically mitigated. Fascinating. So it wasn't just, like, a COVID thing. I don't think so. I, I, I want to I, – I, like, my – I have a, a Mike Clay tweet stored in my brain somewhere that tracks, like, every home game in 2021, huh. and it was, like – Home teams were either like 
they had a winning percentage of like 0.501 or like mm-hmm. 0.499. It was some mm-hmm. basically 50-50 split. So Cowboys Rams. <laughs> fun one. Surprisingly fun. Uh, yeah. It does appear that Cooper Rush will be playing for the Cowboys. Uh, but that is not what concerns me. <laughs> or nope. I, no, not what concerns me. But we just saw this Rams offensive line get absolutely obliterated by San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. their reward is playing probably the <laughs> other best pass rush in the NFL. Yeah. Well, Buffalo yep. is in the mix too. Um, I, man, Sean McVay's, I talked about this at length with Dominique Foxworth. They're doing everything they can to try to compensate for the offensive line issues. We'll see. Like, and there's some guys. So Coleman Shelton's going to be out. We'll see what the deal is with Brian Allen as their center. David Edwards will probably come back. That should help. Um, he was out this week, but last week. But, poof, buddy, this is not a good matchup. Not a, ma- not a good matchup at all. And you can maybe make the case that the Rams have gotten slightly better play at the offensive tackle positions than they have the interior of the offensive yeah. line. Uh, and the strength of the Dallas defense is most notably Micah Parsons, but he and Demarcus Lawrence and the perimeter pressure is maybe more dominant than the interior pressure. But I'm not sure it matters. I'm not sure it's enough. Uh, the offensive line for the Rams is a tough watch right now. I mean, Matthew Stafford's second in the NFL and sacks taken at 16, which by itself is not the only stat that matters. You know, a lot of factors can contribute uh, to offensive line play, but they have no rushing attack right now as well, oh, which God. I know the Cam Akers has been exceedingly disappointing for fantasy. I get that. Some of that is also because he like didn't even play in week one. He had three total opportunities. But I'm not taking all of this off of him. But when you watch him right now, and same goes for Daryl Henderson for the most part, there's nowhere to go. Nowhere. I mean, like, it's like they're running into a brick wall. They're lucky to, like, you know, they're, they're lucky to get, I don't know, four yards on a carry. And... Uh, Matthew Stafford, you know, the, 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 the trickle down here and some of this, no doubt a lot of this is on Stafford, but he leads the NFL interceptions again. He has six already this season. He was tied with Trevor Lawrence for the most last year. And it's just not something you can afford because they're not nearly as dominant on the offensive line. They're not nearly as dominant on defense so far as they were last year. They still have some really good players, obviously, on both sides of the ball. But the skill group is basically Cooper Cup and Tyler Higby right now. I mean, Allen Robinson... I said this during the uh, during the beginning of our fantasy focus season this year that Robinson will either end up being the biggest steal of the NFL offseason or he'll be the biggest waste of money in the NFL offseason because at 15.5 million bucks a year that's like half a Tyreek Hill so if he plays really well you're like what a move if he doesn't not only is do you, 15.5 million bucks for you know a a negligible offensive impact money poorly spent, but opportunity costs, right? You traded away Bobby Woods. Uh, I was going to say, I call him Bobby Trees. Robert Woods, mm. uh, you you, know, you have not yet. And because of the health, you ha- you know, you still don't have OBJ and maybe things get better and back on track. But like that wide receiver group, other than Cooper Cup, not exactly scaring anybody right now. Man, Alan Robinson, he just like, doesn't separate. Not only does he not separate, but he's supposed to be the contested catch guy. He's not coming out with contested catches either. And you're right, like it's... Every play, they know it's going to Cup or Higby. That's how you get. Um, who and they who have was, to. Who jumped the? Oh, Hufanga, who had the? Who jumped this? Yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, but you have to right now because you can't protect. There's no vertical passing game when you can't protect. And yes. the Rams interior offensive line, the you know the t- tackles are a little bit better, but uh, it's a problem well, right now. And like, in this particular matchup, it, it's a problem because I do think you can run on the Cowboys. It's the one 
I think yeah. thing with this de- I, I think the Cowboys defense is sensational. I especially have been pleasantly surprised by the secondary. Um, you know, we talk about what a great season Trevon Diggs is having, but like Donovan Wilson, man, Hooker, like sure. everybody in the secondary is playing really good football right now. And everybody on that defensive line, not just Micah Parsons, is a threat to get after it. However, I do think you can run on them. I think that's going to potentially be an issue for them against teams that are good at running the football. But as you laid out, the Rams are horrible at running the football right now. So it's like just... These games are about matchups, and on that side of the football, um, the matchup's not good, which is, I think, why there's a lot of pressure on this defense in this one to really put the screws on Cooper Cooper Rush. Yeah, and, and I'll say this field, like, Cooper Crush is... Cooper Crush, Jesus Christ. Cooper Cup, Cooper Rush, Cooper, Cooper Crush is what it's turned into. Um, Cooper Rush has been excellent, but he tried to give the football away a couple times last week. He's tried to give the football away a couple times before, and I think with the Rams, they're really going to have to come... Got to come down with those. Yeah, they're going to get, he's going to give you a couple of opportunities, which I think there are a lot of quarterbacks that are actually much more established in him that you could say that about, but he's going yeah. to give you a couple of opportunities. And uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. Like the Rams are an interesting team to watch right now in a lot of ways, and Cowboys are as well. We know that like we're on the doorstep of Dak returning. Um, yeah. And I know we just, I don't know, we, we, we just said that about Cooper Rush. I will just say like taking a big step back here for a second, like they're three and one and Cooper Rush has been on the field for, what, three and a quarter of those games. Mm. I, I'm not saying Cooper Rush is, like, you know, the the next great starting quarterback in the NFL, but just, like, a moment, like, a stick tap to Cooper Rush because he's been, like, so, so good relative yeah. to expectations. And every team would love to have Jimmy Garoppolo as their backup quarterback, right? It's not going to happen. Most teams are going to have a player that might not even – be a guarantee to make other rosters like you know there's there's not a but that we just we have a dearth of, of starting quarterback options we do not have great depth in the league cooper rush was sitting there on the cowboys practice squad available to be signed elsewhere and he was not maybe he chose not to but the fact that he's played as he has i think just deserves so much adulation and credit because uh, it, it felt like that that season could have spiraled after week one and instead they're right back in the mix, and when Dak Prescott is back, like they're going to be part of that NFC East conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't think Philly runs away from them with this division. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. Also, I think like Mike McCarthy deserves some credit for it. I mean, it feels like they're making fewer mistakes from a game management standpoint. Yeah. Penal- the penalties are yeah. way down also, which is, of course, you know, thing that kind of fell at his feet. Um yeah, I think um, like we we know what they're going to do on offense, right? We 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 have a pretty good sense of what this Cowboys offense looks like with Cooper Rush. Um, I think with the Rams, who have been much better in run defense than pass defense, um, it's just going to be like you know I'd like to see something of a pass rush outside of Aaron Donald in this game. There are some weaknesses on that Cowboys offensive line, which hasn't been playing better, and then on the back end. Um, you know, I, I would say like they, they can tend to play pretty conservatively and I think um, just try to keep everything in front of them and, you know, yeah. no coverage bus um, would be helpful. Yeah, totally. Especially, and it, it doesn't feel like CeeDee Lamb has been doing like damage on like balls that are traveling 40 yards in the air. But as we know, CeeDee Lamb, like if he catches one, I know he had the big drop in that, that long throw uh, two weeks ago on Monday Night Football. Yeah. But, like, he could take a, 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 a catch that is thrown up the seam 18 yards down the field and turn it into a 42-yard chunk play. So um, they are explosive even if they aren't as vertically inclined as some of the other offenses that we see in the NFL. And that is one concern I have with the Rams is the safety play has not been great. Jordan Fuller, yeah, Jordan is, Fuller is hurt. 
hurt now. Yeah. You know, we, last we saw, like, the other Nick Scott and Taylor Rapp are holding it down. It's, you know, we, Dominique and I talked about this attrition, man. It's it's gets harder and harder to, you know, this is the reason why Super Bowl teams struggle. It's And obviously this is a team with a very unique approach to team building. You're kind of, you're seeing that a little bit. So this, this feels like a... If, not to be like corny, but it does feel like they got it. Like, I feel like they lose this one. There's going to be a lot of panic in LA. With that, oh, I feel yeah. like the Cowboys, not, not so much because it's, you know, Rush and they've won all these games. And they didn't expect to, but LA, this is, I mean, with San Francisco, when everyone tied now, it feels like, oh man, we might not win the division. And by the way, they play the 49ers again in just three weeks, Mina. So it's going to all sort of like build up to that. I believe they have their bye leading out. Yes, they do. They have their bye leading into that that San Francisco game in the end of October. But if they lose that one, they play, I'm looking at the schedule, they play Carolina the following week, which you would think would be a game they could win. But all of a sudden that, assuming that San Francisco maintains uh, its level of play on defense, I suspect they'll end up winning a couple of their next three games at least. And all of a sudden it could be a game where it's like, are the Rams playing to stay in the division title hunt right away? And that would be like week eight, which the answer is probably no, but still like it's it's a lot of pressure for a team uh, that has inherent pressure as the defending Super Bowl champs. All right. I think this is the best game of the week. Bengals Ravens. Mm. Um, and I, I feel like. The Bengals have managed to get things back on track. The panic level is a little bit lower there. The Ravens, however, even though it's the same record, um, there's a lot of consternation right now after the way they've lost these last couple of games. So let's start with the Ravens' offense versus the Bengals' defense, which has been – the Bengals' defense has been very – like just solid. Sixth in EPA per play, seventh in DVOA. You know, they have played worse teams. DVOA starting to – the opponent level is starting to factor more and more, but it's still very early in the season. Sure. Yeah. Um, but they just don't really make dumb mistakes, you know, and they have, good, they have it, yeah. good players at every level. Yep. So you got a Ravens team that has had really, really high highs, but then yeah. gone just silent for yep. halves now. Yeah, totally. How do you feel about this matchup? It's a good test. Great test here. Um, I don't have like a strong feeling about who's going to win this game. I might lean towards Baltimore because they're playing at home, even though I spoke earlier about how uh, home field advantage matters less and less, uh, it seems these days. Um, The Ravens, uh, the the Bengals, I believe, are, uh, let me say it the obvious. Bengals are a far more explosive passing offense. The Ravens are the far more explosive rushing offense. And by that, I mean that Lamar Jackson is far more explosive by himself than what the Bengals are capable of doing with Joe Mixon averaging like 2.75 yards per carry this year. Um, but as we have seen, and I'm not sure it's fair to call it a full Achilles heel because they played better last week, albeit in rainy conditions, but four touchdowns in one quarter against the Dolphins and then 320 passing yards from Mac Jones later, I still think there are legitimate question marks about this Ravens secondary and the ability to neutralize big plays down the field. While the Bengals have been a little bit more limited in the passing game specific to Jamar Chase over the past three weeks, Chase had a blow up game in week one and T Higgins, if he's the number two wide receiver for Cincinnati, I mean, he's got to be in the conversation. He's not the front runner for the best number two in the NFL, right? I'm trying to think of others that would come to mind, but certainly he's on the very, very short list. 
how much does that continue on Sunday night? Because while the Bengals offensive line is still a work in progress, we have seen some signs of life in terms of pass protection and better decision making and just overall decisiveness from Joe Burrow. All those things make me feel like they can pierce this secondary on occasion Sunday night. Hmm. I want to see. So I, I, I expect Baltimore, which has been playing, you know, we talked about this, they're blitzing less, they're playing more zone. I expect them to play a lot of cover two quarters against Cincinnati. And they've done better in recent weeks, but they've also played two defenses in New York and Miami that have played more man coverage, have gone away from that a little bit. Now, when Miami did play cover two against Cincinnati, you saw them have a little bit more success getting the kind of plays like I think we would have expected where they're setting up their skill players to get yards after the catch. And then they had he, um, Burrow went hit one explosive to, I believe it was, yeah, it was Higgins. I think it was... I think Higgins was it was a post and they were they were in Tampa too and I think Tyler Boyd cleared out the linebacker and it was just like a perfectly placed football mm. and those are the plays that have really been missing this year um, because as you've mentioned though this Baltimore defense there's been coverage bust there's been lapses in the secondary and then they're not really getting anything in terms of pressure so I feel like there's an opportunity here for Cincinnati to say okay you know our offense is better and we can be covered too over the course of an entire game. Um, now, I'll be very curious to see how they look running the ball. As you mentioned, that's been an absolute train wreck for them for a litany of reasons. Um, but this Baltimore defense, you know, they don't have, um, I believe uh, Michael Pierce is still out. So, you know, it's it, it's a little bit diminished up front. And it just, it feels like an opportunity for the Bengals to prove something on that side of the ball. Yeah, big opportunity for them in that regard. And the running game to either prove something or maybe prove that it's just not going to work this year, right? It's just going to be that if they're going to win, they're going to have to adopt like prior year Tampa Bay model where it's like, who cares if we can't run the ball? We're at, or Buffalo model. Like, we'll just throw it into oblivion. And if you can't stop us, then we don't care about balance. Well, like you hinted at this, but like the other weird thing about the Ravens is like outside of Lamar, the run game has also been really, I mean, it's not been Bengals bad, but it's been up and down all season. It feels like it's starting to trend up um, in this last game. You know, both J.K. Dobbins and Justin Hill, Justice Hill were a bit more productive. Justice Hill is now injured. Looks like Gus Edwards, Edwards is practicing again. I think that could be huge. Um, it, but it's that's been, I mean, I think some of that has been the offensive line. Ronnie Stanley's still not playing. I don't think he's gonna play in this game I'm kind I don't of think like so either. holding yeah. out hope on that for a while I thought actually I mean Daniel Philly didn't do that bad at left tackle uh, so we'll see they I also noticed they like kind of did a little bit better when uh the backs were carrying the ball from under center mm-hmm. um their success rate went up a little bit and so maybe that's something that we see continuing but yeah it's it's been a very it really has been the Lamar Jackson show in Baltimore and at times, there have been really, really high highs, but it, it really feels like they're the rest of the offense. I mean, and I, by the way, this that this a few weeks ago, Dominique and I were like, "Wow, the skill players look really good." But in this last game, I felt that take was old takes because the skill players did not do much to help him. Bateman had a bunch of drops, whom I love. Hopefully, he comes back because they really need him on the field. But it, yeah. it does feel like it's not coming easy at the moment. Yeah, and he, by the way, is currently day-to-day as well. So we'll see whether he, J.K. Dobbins, still nursing a chest injury. Sounds like he'll be good to go. But uh, they're thin, obviously, at at that wide receiver spot. 
Uh, and until Dobbins and, and Edwards are both healthy, also then at that running back spot. So uh, depth catching up to the Ravens early on this season. I've got Baltimore still. Um, while I do think like it, it's a little bit alarming to have seen the Baltimore Ravens offense just kind of evaporate. I also think the Bills are just really good. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, I also think like, uh, yeah, well, well, again, if Bateman doesn't play, that's a little pretty concerning because they really need him to spread the defense out at least a little bit and threaten outside the numbers. But um, Lamar's just playing such good football this season that I it's hard for me. Mm, like, I, I think offensively, I... I have more faith in the Ravens' offense at the moment than I do in the Bengals, despite the fact that, as we've been discussing, they've been trending in the right direction. It's just been so painful at times and sure. so groany. Um, and, yeah, so I, I, I think, and even though the Bengals' defense, I do believe, is playing better than the Ravens right now, I just think Lamar is what swings this one for me. Yeah, I'm with you there as well. He's just he's such a joy to watch. I also, this is not important at all, but I have loved that after there are two losses, like within an hour of the game being over, Lamar has basically been like, all right, shout out Dolphins. Uh, don't worry, Ravens fans. We'll be back. Same thing last week. It was like, good job, Buffalo Bills. Next week, we'll be back. Like, don't <laughs> doubt us. Like, he's at such con. He's so at ease right now. Meanwhile, like, everybody is talking about the amount of pressure that's riding on him, and he's proving a lot of people wrong. At the same time, like, if this performance doesn't keep up, right, the number might go down in terms of what he is worth, uh, at least, or what he's going to potentially make on a new contract. He's just like, I'm all good. Like, nothing seems to be bothering yeah. him at the moment at all. Many of us would be crumbling under similar situations or similar circumstances. I think uh, another injury that might be notable in this one is, you know, DJ Reader is still yeah, out still for out, Cincinnati. Yeah. So that could help the Baltimore run game a little bit, too. I'm just going to look at the injury reports right now, just making sure I'm not missing anything major. But, um, yeah, it's this is going to be... No, this is a good one. This is a close one. Yeah, great way to finish off a Sunday, right? Great. We we actually have really, really good Sunday and Monday night games with Chiefs Raiders to wrap up the entire week. That'll be awesome. After starting Thursday with Denver and Indianapolis. Yeah, I I chose not to include that when I was describing those late night games. (laughs) Woof. Oh, my God. All right. Well, let's let's, uh, take a quick break and come back and then talk about a few more games. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Dinks and Dunks is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Okay, Field, as always, five questions, four from me, one from Lenny. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay. Um, Yeah, so I've been using this to just kind of talk about very kind of rapid fire, go through some of the games that we're not getting to elsewhere. So uh, let's start with the early game. Giants Packers. So I didn't want to talk about this one because I wasn't sure who's playing quarterback. Um, but I guess my question for you is: Is this where we finally see the Packers' offense look dominant wall to wall? I don't know about wall to wall, but I think it'll be good enough. It just may not, it may never be dominant wall to wall. Yeah. But I do think that they're good enough uh, to to win this game. The Giants are 
maybe the best story in the NFL so far this season in terms of finding three games they could win. Uh, I don't expect it to be that. I don't. I think the, the Packers will win this game, perhaps handily. Um, did you know this is the first time ever the NFL has had a London game with two teams with winning records playing in it? Really? So a little bit of intrigue there. And I believe the Packers oh, are the man. last team to ever play a game in London. So I think that they find yeah, a way. The Giants have not had one interception so far this year. Even though Aaron Rodgers was picked off last week, I don't suspect he makes similar errors this week. Poor British football fans. They yeah, had to see yeah. the worst games. <laughs> and even this one, we're like, it's a winning team, but it's the Giants. I mean, sure. you know, it's a great story, but it's, it's not exactly um, Bucks. Not piece. all three and one teams are created <laughs> equally. All right. Question two. Dolphins, Jets, am I crazy to think that Teddy Bridgewater will be able to move the ball with relative ease? No, not crazy at all. First, the matchup. The Jets do have some young talent in that secondary, but still the defense overall, not quite. Uh, it's not a dominant force by any stretch. Second of all, we saw it a bit last week. Teddy looked sharp in relief duty. Third of all, mm-hmm. uh, did you see the line from Tyree Kill to Marcel Louis-Jacques, our Dolphins no. reporter? Uh, he was quite, Marcel asked him, like, hey, can you you think you can still put up big numbers with Teddy Bridgewater as the quarterback. And Tyreek looked him in the eye and said, I could put up big numbers with you at quarterback. So <laughs> there's plenty of confidence, Teddy Bridgewater, in that Miami locker room. I tend to share that confidence. I wish that line, he had said that at the beginning of the offseason, it would have saved us a lot of um, agonizing about his yes. various quarterback takes. Yes, totally. um, but yeah, I agree. I, I think they're going to look good. All right, question number Three, Lions-Patriots. We talked about both of these teams at the top. The Lions feels like a must-win game for them. It feels like people might start getting a little... like they, This feels for me like a game where they turned from a feel-good story to a feel-bad mm, mm. story. I don't know. I, yeah. Am I overreacting? I don't think so. Because while we all love like the character that we saw during Hard Knocks and... I think Dan Campbell is like a very likable individual as a head coach. Uh, results do matter in this league, and if you start one and four, uh, that's a problem. But I, th- I do think though that like there's still, I still think there is a chance. Like they're like it's reasonable to expect them to need one more year to get on the trajectory of being a team that's like ready to compete. I think the Patriots, if they fall to one and four, it's a bit more disconcerting, even if they are down to their third string quarterback. Um, but the Lions do need to translate some of the good vibes and the energy and the individual performances and talent into more wins. Yeah, I I think this is it. There's a certain point where like the vibes only go so far. Yes. Totally. Um, and I think that we're about to hit it with, especially against Bailey Zappi. However, man, that Patriots run game against the Lions defense is not not. Not a great matchup for them as we I want to start Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harrison this week. <laughs> oh, yes. All right. Well, speaking of teams where you might want to start fancy players, Seahawks Saints is my fourth question. So, Field, my question is this. The, Seahawks, the Saints are favored by five and a half at home. Crazy to think the Seahawks probably cover? Uh, no, not crazy. And not crazy to think that they could win too, right? Because the Saints are staring at the possibility of not having Jameis Winston again. Michael Thomas is uncertain to play on Sunday. They've got some key players that are currently nursing injuries. And you and I have talked plenty of times about we've espoused the praises of uh, Cam Jordan on this podcast many times. Uh, I know you know this, that uh, your offensive tackles look phenomenal so far for rookies, for veterans, no matter what. Like, You've got two guys that, between Charles Cross, seventh overall pick, and Abe Lucas, who was, I don't know what number in the third round, but 
third round pick, like guys mm-hmm. that have lived up to their performance or lived up to their billing and much more. Like pass protection has not been a, a vulnerability for them. And that might have been, I mean, there there have been no shortage of offensive linemen that as rookies have struggled dramatically. They have not. So I'm going to pull something that you, now that you mentioned this because pass rush win rate, mm. phrase that I have to say very slowly, it's not perfect. Uh, by any means, but it's like one of the things you want to consider when you look at pass rush. Um, pretty shockingly, the Saints are 32nd in the NFL right now yeah. in pass rush yeah. win rate. Yeah. Teams at the top are you know the Cowboys, the Dolphins, and it kind of checks out with the eye test field. Like I wouldn't say I I, I wouldn't have guessed 32nd by any means, but they are not getting after it to the extent that they have in recent years. I wonder what the percentage of however many sacks they have this year have been generated off of blitzes and pressures because they do a good job. I mean, like they are creative up front with some of the stuff they bring. I'd have to check that out um, because I did not realize their pass rush win pass rush win rate was as low as it is. (laughs) You have you you have to say it really enunciate that honestly. And I was like, you guys should change the name. I'm going to think of something better. But then I couldn't think of anything that made sense. <laughs> but it's like um, when we talk about NBA, trying to say Russell. I can't even tell you the amount of times I've said Russell Westbrook yeah, on air. And Oops. it's just like, God damn it. Um, okay, actually, I was using that to stall and buy times. So when the quarterback is not blitzed by the New Orleans Saints, well, get, I'm sure you can guess which team gets the most pressure. Uh, right now, Cowboys, 49ers? Cowboys and the Niners, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay, so without blitzes, the Saints are yes. 32nd. Your instincts are correct. They yeah. have the lowest pressure rate in the NFL when they do not blitz. Wow. That is not great. Yeah, so not they're, And Gino's been really good against the blitz. So. He has been. The, been good the, the only reason I, I, I know it's so cool. The only reason I'm like, I was like crazy to cover is just Andy Dalton's the exactly kind of backup quarterback who beats the Seahawks. <laughs> <laughs> that's seen that's the story. fan side of you speaking, right? That's not it like really, the pragmatic but, analyst. Oh my God. I've just yeah. seen it too many times. Yeah. Like Colt McCoy and you know, like it's just, all right. All right, last question, as always, comes from Lenny. Are you ready? I'm ready. Um, so, you know, Lenny is very dialed into mm. our War Room Fantasy League. Yeah. Uh, he n- remembers last year. His mom won. I think yeah, you finished. People forget that. Was it, was it last place or was it? My team? I think I was 12th last year, maybe 13th. 12. It wasn't pretty well, yet. Low. F- field, uh, Lenny just checked again, and he just saw that you're 12th again this year. Mm. He wants to know how it feels to be essentially the Houston Texans of our league right now. Yeah, it's a problem, Mina. Um, I actually liked my team coming out of the draft, and incidentally, the two players that I felt like, I was the player that I was like, yeah, we'll see on is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's been like one of my best players. Um, I made too many investments in the Steelers' offense, but I am choosing to remain optimistic, and I am telling you, do not count out the Irish Twins yet. <laughs> we can have this conversation later on, but I am choosing for optimism. Dak Prescott could be back soon. That would be great. Um, it can't get anywhere. It can't get worse with both Deontay Johnson and Najee Harris. There's no Jahan Dotson this week, most likely, so perhaps mm. Tara McLaurin gets better. Um, and maybe Jacoby Myers mm. plays, which would be great. I mean, he's a really good player who has been unavailable for us. Um, yeah, that's all I'm looking for. Ending the show the way we began, wow. diagnosing what's gone wrong wow. with I a bad football it. team. I can't believe you just threw me under the bus like that. You might pay <laughs> <Thanks>. for this. <laughs> we'll see. Thanks, Field. Thank you. Uh, 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 yeah.